Welcome back to the Sunday Puncher Podcast. Simon is back. We have um, a ton of things to talk about. Lots of matches upcoming either this weekend or in the future we're going to touch on. And um, I think it'd be a little irresponsible of us or maybe just oblivious to ignore what's taken over the boxing world um, this week. And if you're pessimistic, of course, you would know that it's the Mayweather-McGregor fight. I mean, an optimist would have said, oh, it's the Canelo-Golovkin fight that's coming up, the best fight in boxing, um, but not quite. So, and look, we, we talked about this a lot before we started recording, just so we can get it out of the way, because I know that a ton of people who are listening to this podcast, you guys are the hardcore of the hardcore fans. You don't want to exactly hear us talk about basically what you can hear everybody else talking about. You can turn on ESPN, um, the radio all day long. They keep bringing it up. I mean, I, I live in LA. The Lakers are a big deal here. Lonzo Ball's tearing it up in the summer league. That's a big story. And yet, we keep getting stories about Mayweather McGregor weaved into the conversation uh, during the day, interrupting the normal sports talk radio here. So this is a big deal. And a lot of people think, uh, maybe I shouldn't say a lot of people, I, but I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that I'm right. But, you know, it's, it's irresponsible to say that. But somehow this notion has gotten out that Mayweather's getting owned in these press conferences, that McGregor is in his head. And um, I just want you to know that that's not the case. Mayweather's in complete control here. This guy's promoting the fight. This guy is the one who everyone's answering to. And if he did not want McGregor to say the things he's saying, he would not be saying them. You know, it's funny that McGregor was very cautious and you could tell he was nervous about saying boy, calling Mayweather boy in the first press conference. But it's funny enough that when the second one came around, he was using that as an anchor of his of his rent. Um, I, I'm, I'm led to believe that Mayweather is in control of what McGregor is saying, that he may even have someone from his camp communicating with them saying, hey, these things are cool to talk about. Bring them up. Because yeah, so just to clarify, here. when you're talking about Mayweather being in control of what he's saying, you're not implying that it's like scripted or that Mayweather's like writing his lines or anything. Are you, are you basically suggesting that Mayweather... Um, has a kind of loose um, control over where the conversation is going to go. And he's prodding like, yeah, say this stuff, stay away from this stuff. Um, um, is that the sort of control that you're talking about? Absolutely. It's uh, not that he's scripting the lines out, um, obviously. And, and how, how we know is like, has McGregor said anything new? I mean, Mayweather's so-called best friend has hit Mayweather with harder jabs um, verbally than McGregor has. So... I'm led to believe that Mayweather is cool with what McGregor's saying and even feeding him uh, subjects or lines, not telling him word for word, hit me with this one, but more like, yeah, that's cool. You can say whatever you want about that. And why would they do that? I think there's basically a formula. It's been perfected in the WWE, um, but it's also something that we've seen in boxing for a long time. And it's loudmouth guy talks and fans buy the fight. We've seen Muhammad Ali do it. We've seen um, Floyd Mayweather do it in the past. And we see it on a weekly basis in the WWE where they've turned it from kind of a phenomenon where you get once in a generation charismatic guys and they've mm -hmm. turned it into basically, we know that at certain weeks out, you say this and at certain weeks out, you say that. And then you have 
a hit on your hands. And the yeah. good thing here is that both guys have the charisma to pull it off. Mm, I, I've for a long time said that with David Hayes' recent matches Another and performances, he, he could not be as relevant in the public space as he is if he wasn't as good at talking and at drumming up um, controversy, hype, and attention as he is. Um, that skill alone puts him front and center in lots of heavyweight conversations way beyond his ability. And, you know, there's, there's a ton of boxers out there that have got better records, better skill sets and worse mouths that people don't talk about nearly as much. So, you know, it, it, boxing's a sport um, first and foremost, but it's also a business and on the business side of things, perception is king and that perception comes from the things you say how you put yourself across the sort of charisma you can generate so that skill set is kind of part of being a professional boxer um you've got like defense footwork offense ring iq and ability to drum up hype that's a, another mm -hmm. key skill set of being a professional boxer and some people have it some don't and i think in this fight um McGregor and Mayweather both have it. They're both definitely blessed with the ability to uh, get people's heads turning and to say things they know are going to make headlines. Um, they're very good at it. It's a skill they have. Um, you, you're talking about um, a kind of general perception that people are, and I've heard people say this too. I've got friends that are thinking that like McGregor's winning the press conferences, which is a kind of silly concept, like to, to win a press conference. But um, you know, they're, they're buying into the hype of it. And the problem for me is that we've kind of scientifically talked now about how um, it's a performance piece that they put on to get you interested and to sell the fight. That's Absolutely. something that they're, they're, it's a construct they're doing. But the thing is, I kind of, I'm slow to tell people about that because I worry that I'm killing Santa Claus, you know. <laughs> These people I'm talking to, these are my friends. These aren't random people that I'm interacting with. They're my friends. And my friends, or some of them at least, are really excited about what's happening. Who am I to come in and say, that's nah, all fake? Like, it, it, it feels mean-spirited of me to piss on something they're enjoying just to be smug about it. Like, what, what's your counter to that when um, we're talking about what's the point in bringing up the fact that it's staged or scripted or performed? What, what, why is that important, do you think, to mention? Look, just like Floyd, I'm a master counterpuncher, okay? And I'm going to hit you with the <laughs> counter now. All right. It's really simple. You're saving them because it's going to break their hearts when they show up after paying $100 and they're sitting there with their friends in their living room in their Irish flags and their UFC t-shirts and their tap out shorts or whatever they wear and uh, their Reebok shoes because the, the official sponsor of the UFC. And it's going to break their hearts when they realize McGregor has no shot. And they're going to regret all those posts that they made about why McGregor is going to, A, beat Floyd, B, how he won the press conferences and got in Floyd's head, and C, is the perfect foil for Floyd Mayweather. It's going to break their hearts when Sunday or late Saturday, early Sunday morning, they're making posts on Twitter and everywhere else on their WordPress blogs that boxing is dead. Floyd Mayweather's killed it because he's boring and runs from real fights. And, and, and that's what it is. And so you're saving them that and say, hey, look, if you actually look at it from this, this angle, this, this kind of bird's eye angle that we're taking on this fight, you'll see that this is a lot of fun to see the artistry at play here. You're now taking a bigger picture view. Like you're, you're getting on the house of cards level. 
It's one thing to be a fan in the moment and enjoy it and be passionate, but it's also another thing to really appreciate what these two guys are doing because these two guys, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, taking away their in-ring skills or in-octagon skills, take all that aside, are absolute masters of sales. They're selling you something. I haven't seen somebody this good at selling a product since Billy Mays. It's unreal how well these guys know what fans want to see or don't even know that they want to see. And they deliver it consistently when they go out at these press conferences. And every time a microphone's put in their face, like, like if, if you don't see that with Floyd, it's like, well, why do you think Floyd's acting this way when usually he's just pretty quiet and talks in a normal voice to, the, to, to reporters and stuff? It's because Floyd knows the character and what needs to be done to sell a fight. And if you can appreciate that, like the world of boxing opens up, things make sense. You start, you're, you're, you just get a bigger view of, of the sport. You know, you can see why Guillermo Rigondo cannot draw over 400,000 viewers uh, on a card now because he doesn't connect in this way. And you can see why after two losses, maybe even a few more that might have been deserved to the people who don't like Adrian Broner, he continues to draw. I mean, think about this. In the UFC, Conor McGregor's, or well, not all in the UFC, but as an MMA fighter, Conor McGregor's lost three times already, and each time he's quit. Yet he's going to break the pay-per-view record with Floyd Mayweather. This is artistry at work here. And that's what I'm appreciating in the press conference, because I, I, I know the fight's already a done deal. Mm. We all know I, that. I think... Um... That's probably a good argument where you can say that you um, have a view on it, an appreciation for it, and you kind of want other people to appreciate it in the same way that you do. So it's kind of like if someone comes along to a piece of art or a piece of music and says, I don't get what you like about this, and you're basically explaining, well, here, come you know, come stand where I'm standing. This is how I'm seeing it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's some benefit in that, that broadening horizons and sharing experiences. For, for a boxing fan, think of it this way, okay? Somebody says, well, why, why do you like boxing? It's, it's just fighting, and it's not even real fighting because in, the, in, in real fighting, like guys get on the ground and do stuff, so that's why you should watch the UFC. And, it, and if you were to open your eyes and see the, 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 the beauty of the limitation that the, that the rules place on the combat, you'll see that there's, when, when boxing is good, there's nothing like it. I mean, when you watch Mayweather Pacquiao, and I know a lot of people were disappointed in that fight, um, but when you watch it, like just they were doing hundreds of things per minute and it wasn't all throwing punches and it, it was just the, the fine, subtle aspects of boxing. And it was, it was like jazz music, really good jazz, Charles Mingus kind of jazz. Um, you know, you watch Ward Kovalev and it's just, uh, amazing what you're seeing, you know, and it's a big difference between watching, uh, two dudes fighting on the undercard, of the Burchelt and um, Mura fight this weekend. No diss to them, but it's just not that level. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid distinction. So um, let's move on. I, you guys don't want to hear us talk about this the whole time. I mean, if you do, leave a comment. We'll talk more about this. There's tons we could talk about. I mean, <laughs> we could, I, mean I was literally, I was thinking of um, uh, doing a podcast where we literally broke down the press conference, like line by line, just as a joke. Um, just to just to kind of cash in on the fact that everybody wants to hear about this, um, but, <laughs> I mean, really, I cannot bring myself to do it. Despite it, I being think that would fun. be a little bit masturbatory. But um, like, I, I think it's difficult with um, with this event. It's kind of like, on one hand, 
media is already saturated with talk about it so it's like you feel like what what have you got to add to it but then on the other hand you've got fact that a lot of the media that is talking about it doesn't know a lot of what they're talking about and aren't primarily boxing writers or boxing journalists they're people who are kind of more general sports journalists that are just coming because it's the hot thing at the moment and that's cool you know i'm not dissing anyone that would want to come and cover an exciting and important event um but what i would say is that they're not necessarily always going to give the best level of insight and i think that um really dedicated boxing fans could potentially add a little bit of extra nuance that's missing in other media outlets. So it's like, do you cover it? Do you not? It's a difficult one. Yeah. Um, that's one other thing is the, <laughs> the ESPNs and the Fox sports ones of the world are doing a really good job without really knowing it of selling the fight because they are approaching it from an absolute casual point of view. I mean, I was listening to ESPN radio last night about nine thirty PM here on the Pacific time. And, uh, oh my God, like the things that I heard would make your eyelashes curl or whatever the phrase is. Let's move on to that. And I want to talk about, um, a fallen star, a man who once sat atop the world of boxing, the one a to Mayweather's one B, or maybe he was one B. I don't know. Mayweather did have the higher pay-per-view numbers, but that's a story for another day. And I want to talk about Manny Pacquiao, how far he has come. And what we're now hearing is that our man, Manny Pacquiao, he hasn't gotten paid for the Jeff Horn fight, and neither has Freddie Roach. Now, Freddie Roach is relying on Manny Pacquiao to pay him. Manny Pacquiao is relying on Bob Arum to pay him. And the money just hasn't trickled down yet. What is going on here? And, and I mean, it's, it's um, the first like red flag is that Aram's involved. Like, if there's some financial chaos going on and that people are pissed off you're going to say well is is it something to do with bob arum because if it is then it's like oh, i understand how that may have happened then i want i want to read from the boxing scene article because i think if you didn't see this it's really 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 worth getting into um so this is from boxing scene um the, the author's name is boxing clever which is cool i guess um so basically freddie roach says i was trying to see where his head was at and I couldn't, I could not even get him to say hi to me. I don't know if he was upset with me or what. I really don't know if he's mad at me, but I can tell you this. I haven't been paid yet. So who knows? Pacquiao issued a statement letting everyone know that top-ranked CEO Bob Arum is in charge of paying Roach. And the boxer revealed that he hasn't been paid either. He also denied that there was any friction with his longtime trainer. My purse has not yet been released by Arum. I have no problem with Coach Freddie Roach. I'm not the one paying him. It's Bob Arum. So if Coach Freddie has not received, not yet received his payment, we are on the same boat. Okay, well, while you two are on the same boat, it seems like Bob Arum is having a little trouble um, paying people. Now, why might this be? Now, you would think that if they took the fight to Australia, that must have meant that they were going to get a big site fee, which would have, so if you don't know how this works... Um, the promoters don't usually have the money to cover fighter pur purses. They might, but why give out the promotions money for a bigger fight where, you know, Pacquiao's guarantee was something like $6 million or something? Um, why use your money when you can use the, the site's fee to give out the money? And then once the pay-per-view buys or whatever money comes in from the gate or something, you use that to pay out everybody appropriately. And then you have to, you, you basically cash a check and don't have to give out any of your money. 
That's how these things work. And so maybe Aram's waiting for something to send out the checks, but it seems a little odd that they wouldn't have gotten money up front. So this is a bad time for Manny Pacquiao. And it's one of those things where you kind of get the sense that maybe this is going to force him to keep fighting. What do you think about that? I don't know about the force to keep fighting. And it, it, it's, it's early doors at the minute to come to any solid conclusions because um, we're not that far out from the fight um, taking place. Um, I, 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 I think it's a difficult one to kind of predict and you need to understand what was in all of the different financial agreements between all the different parties and who's going to be paid and how. Are they cutting checks internationally that need to go through international clearinghouse process? Um, you know, it, it, it depends on how money's being moved around. At the minute, I think that you just put this on kind of like a low amber alert of like, you know, this is something to keep an eye on. Um, it could it could go full red alert and go into a kind of um, Frank Warren lawsuit style situation where there's people that are months out saying that they still haven't been paid and, and you know, threatening legal action and stuff like that. It could go there. Um, but I think that with the international, like... Um, I know that we're in like the age of kind of technology and instant transmissions and things like that. Um, money's still really behind. Like, I, I mean, people may or may not know I come from like a banking background and you'd be amazed at how retro some of the systems at play. And, and it's not because they're stuck behind the times. It's the, where there's such huge amounts of money concerned, security is a really big um, interest obviously so when people come up with new uh, it solutions for stuff um banking is slow to take it on because they want to see someone else do it and use it for a good amount of time before they know how secure it is and that they're not going to get penetrated for using it so um international banking definitely uses some really slow mechanisms and that's probably going to be the case um, maybe forever, but certainly for the, the immediate future. So where we're, we're less at the time of recording, we're less than two weeks away like from that fight. Um, it's not surprising with certain things taking 10 working days to clear. We aren't 10 working days out from the fight taking place yet. So I'm not super worried, although it's certainly interesting and the, the kind of controversy and drama that's come out of it is uh, an interesting point um, to look at. But I think you don't want to jump on um, incompetence and corruption before you take out the reasonable, which is it could just be slow banking systems for the time being. But as time ticks and as days go and if this doesn't get resolved, that excuse seems less and less likely. So we'll have to watch this one to really get an insight into what's going on. It did seem like they filled out the arena. Um, but as we've learned recently, that that could be a lot of comps. That could be a lot of... Um, a lot of cheap tickets and you know maybe the money didn't come in that they were expecting maybe they mm -hmm. can't cover the the Pacquiao um guarantee that was he was due up front which was uh, several million dollars not mm -hmm. over 10 though as far as i know um let's move on um i wanted to talk about is this something that we've we've been covering pretty um pretty closely on the website um sundaypuncher.com but we haven't really talked about it on the podcast and i think now is the perfect time to bring it up and that's the World Boxing Super Series. And it's um, the cruiserweight division is unbelievable. We're going to have a unified champion at the end of this division, ass assuming that nobody pulls out, nobody gets injured. And th while that's always um, there's always a potential for that, um, it's not something we hope for. So let's talk about the matchups as they've been set. The number one seed was Oleksandr Ushik, and um, he 
picked Marco Huck. Um, Ushik said, I picked him for my fans. And Huck said, this is my wish opponent. People say he is really good, an Olympian and world champion, but we will see when he gets in the ring with me. Um, Ushik, I think right now is riding that wave of Ukrainian um, excellence uh, provided by um, Vasily Lomachenko. And um, I, I personally have not been that impressed with him. I don't know how you feel about Ushik, but I just think that he's he's a really good fighter. I'll leave, and I, I'm I'm okay with saying that. But as far as like, is he um, as good as as advertised pound for pound level? I'm not ready to go there. Um, and then Marco mm. Huck is, I think, done. What's your stance? Yeah, I, I think this is a great um, bit of matchmaking because um, Huck is someone who's got this you know good following he's not like a world superstar level but he's one of the most known cruiserweights which isn't saying all that much but it's saying something he has a fan base there and quite you know as you pointed out his his stars fading um he hasn't had a good um you know in in his last five ten outings he hasn't had the best performances um and so i think that it's it's a, a great pick where um ushik's got like a, a kind of a, a really good shot of winning and winning in style um, rather than just kind of coasting to a mediocre victory. He could really put on the business here and look a million dollars against somebody who has, oh, you know, pretty good following within the division. So great matchmaking, um, interesting fight. I'm excited to see it in terms of um, appraising Ushik as, as a, like he, he's passed every test. So it's very difficult to criticize someone who's passed every test and he's got some good names on his, his resume. It's not, he's not a completely lackluster resume or anything. Um, I agree with you that the eye test doesn't look, um, super encouraging in terms of being, um, an elite fighter for the ages, but he's, he's getting the, the job done and you can't really fault that for the time being. I think that he should easily get through this challenge though. I'd be surprised if hook offers him too much, um, opposition. So, uh, the way it worked was that the number one seed got to pick whoever. Well, the number one numbers one through four seeds got to pick whoever they wanted to fight from five through eight, and the available guys were Marco Huck, uh, Christoph Valderchik, uh, Mike Perez, formerly the heavyweight, and Dmitry Kudryashov. And um, if you were Ushik and had the number one pick, would you have picked Marco Huck? Yeah, I think so for the reasons that I outlined because it's the, it, I mean, it's an easy-ish fight in terms of what you've got uh, out there, and it's probably one of the most um, signature names of that list. So it's going to do really good for your own reputation and your own fame to be able to put on an impressive win here. So I think I think it's a great pick. Fair enough, um, and we all know that Kudryashov was the guy that nobody wanted to pick. Um, number two seed Murat Gassiev, who recently beat Denis Lebedev, he's going to fight Christoph Volderchek. Um, Gossiev said, I want to thank everyone for, I want to say thank you for everyone who made this tournament. I'm very happy to be here. I'm fighting Christoph because he is my number one contender. He's a tough opponent and I'm sure we will give boxing fans a great fight. While Valdercek, he said, I'm very happy because Gossiev is a good fighter and a tough guy. We will give people a good fight. So, um, there's, there's a, a, a disagreement here. I think, um, Gossiev is claiming a great fight. Valdercek is claiming a good fight. Um, uh, do you think that that will lead to Gassiev maybe trying to knock out Valdercek early for disagreeing with him? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I think that he's going to... Uh, I mean, he, he's not... Um, 
flashy enough, I don't think. I think he's going to put on some work early um, and then stop him in the mid-rounds. And I think that that's probably the most sensible conclusion you could come to. I don't know how you could really make an argument for anything other than that taking place. I, I think um, Voldercheck's done. And Gassiev uh, might do something very bad to him. I think one of the amazing things about Gassiev is that he was there's a picture of him sitting with uh, Golovkin. They trained together. They're trained by Abel Sanchez up in Big Bear. And there's a picture of them sitting. I think they're on the ring. They're sitting next to each other, and Gassiev has his arm around um, Golovkin. And Gassiev, who's 23 years old, looks like Golovkin's dad. <laughs> it's unreal how old this guy looks. Um, so let's move on. I think uh, and I think Gassiev, yep, going to knock him out. Marius yeah, Bredis... I just want to clarify, do you think it's going to be an early knockout? Like, if you were looking to bet the spread on this, where would you be placing that stoppage? Four to six. Yeah, I totally agree. Mid-round stoppage, like, um, I, you know, I, I think five to seven maybe, but I'm in the same area as you. I think that he's going to um, have some good success early and get some um, work done and then just capitalize it in the mid-rounds. Um, that's exactly how I see this one playing out. Number three seed, Marius Bredis, he picked Mike Perez. He said he's a great fighter from Cuba. He comes from the heavyweight division and will give me a tough fight. Mike Perez, he said it's a great challenge. He's a champion, so I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be my first belt. I'm looking forward to the fight. So I I think, like, I honestly, I really like the matchups. With the exception of the Gassiev-Voldercheck fight, which I think is also, like, kind of falls into it. I think they all can... Like, Ushik Huck is probably, of of the top seeds and the bottom seeds, this is, like, the best matchup for, for Ushik. Um, and I, I think if Huck, I think he can, he, I think they match up just really well together. I think Huck is going to give him a little bit to think about and is going to bring, like, what I say it's a good matchup is because I think Huck is going to bring out a very good performance in Ushik. Um, with Gassiev and Voldercheck. Voldercheck's vulnerable, so we're going to see Gassiev do what he does best, and that's hurt people. And then in Bredis Perez, you have two tricky boxers that have awkward styles, I think. And I think um, this one is very, like, I, I think, again, Perez is going to bring a good performance out of Bredis. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see an upset here. I honestly wouldn't, but I'm going to pick Bredis to win, uh, probably by decision. Yeah, I think that's responsible. And then number four seed, Junior Dorticos, was left with the following, or what was remaining, and that was the biggest, probably one of the biggest punchers in boxing. If you haven't seen this guy's highlights, go go look him up. Dmitry Kudryashov, who I've gotten hate from in the past for, um, I, I said in the past that Kudryashov could be like the next Golovkin in that he's just a power puncher that can connect with fans and I can see him coming over and he got knocked out because this dude, unlike Golovkin, he doesn't really pace himself in fights mm. and he got knocked out. And then people were like, well, I respected this guy's that, opinion that, now and he was wrong. So, uh, you know, screw him, which that is, was that fight when we weren't sure Duradola was going to make it out of the country. Wasn't it? Uh, yeah. The first time against the uh, Duradola. <laughs> Um, but this is another great fight because these two dudes, between the two of them, only one guy has uh, seen the final bell. Uh, Dordico's 21-0, 20 knockouts. Kudryashov, 22-1, 21 knockouts. Or, sorry, 21-1, 21 knockouts. Uh, Dordico's is going to be a great fight and something really interesting for the fans. Kudryashov, I'm happy with this opponent. It will be a good fight. 
And really, this this is going to be a good one. I think both guys pack a lot of power. They're both vulnerable. If this goes past five rounds, probably, um, there's I, I can't see Kujiasha pulling it out. I mean, it's just going to be too much. Um, the dude doesn't have any stamina at all. Mm. Like, I would like... I, I, I think my chances are good against him if if we were to get into the late rounds. Like that's how bad his stamina is. I um, I, th- I think bigger than that. There's there's um a lot of talk about why these sort of tournaments don't happen more often, and I think that's a, a good question. But I think that um, they're this is the best division for it right now because you've got so much talent and so little fame, and that's been true of cruiserweight for a while. So what you do is you take all of the people involved, mediocre fame, and together you know, the whole is better than the sum of its parts. And so you've got this thing you can care about. And if, you know, anyone who's um, only slightly following one or two of the the fighters is going to be involved in the tournament as a whole. So I think it's a really good way to put some shine on a division, get some people to be interested in. And on the other end of it, it's going to create some star names, maybe not superstar names, but it's going to get some big name recognition to the people that walk away victorious. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This was the perfect division to do this in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the super middleweight division, I'm not, we're not going to go completely into it. I think it's far less interesting. Um, George Groves was the number one seed. That tells you all you need to know. There, there are people in super middleweight that are famous enough to not need this. But I think that there are weight classes that are really talent rich and really fame poor. And they're the divisions that should be taking note on this sort of thing. You know, I... I think flyweight would have been perfect for this division for or mm-hmm. for this competition. Flyweight has a lot of guys. That's a division in transition right now. You know, all the all the top guys have have they've left the they've left the division, and so we're kind of left with like nobody right now in the division. I mean, Kazuto Ioka is he the best flyweight in the world right now? That's, yeah, that's a scary I, I, thought. It's a division that that I had in mind when I made that point a moment ago. There's there's definitely divisions that if you have no talent in terms of like superstar talent, but you've got a lot of talent in terms of boxing ability, and you've got people that might not be the best at marketing themselves in the way that um, Mayweather and McGregor are in the way that we were talking about earlier. If you've got people that are just pure boxing talent and no fame or celebrity put one of these on because whoever comes out on top is going to be a de facto star just on their accomplishments. I mean, listen to this, this eight. So just taking the top eight from box rec, you have Donnie Nietes, Kazuto Ioka, Daigo Higa, Juan Carlos Revico. If you haven't seen Daigo Higa fight, you need to go look him up. This is the new, um, maybe in a way we can say, I I don't want to say he's that skilled. I I think that's a bit much, but yeah, uh, you know, your point's taken. Different styles, of course, and in a way, looks like this dude. He's a legitimate pound for pound talent. I don't know that he goes there yet. Is there potential for it? Absolutely. He's 21 years old, 13 to know. But the guy's a monster in the in the way that you know his style is come out and 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 just basically bring the fight to his opponent. Very, like very different for a, a a Japanese fighter. He's built in the Mexican tradition, and he's an inside fighter. But just one of the better inside fighters I think I've seen of any prospect in a long time. So Daigo Higa, look him up. Then there's uh, so him, Juan Carlos Revico, Maruto Mithlani, um, Francisco Rodriguez Jr., former unif- unified um, mid- minimum weight champion, Andrew Selby, little brother of Lee Selby, who we'll be talking about in a bit, and Kamgrich Nantepech. Um, and but you know, you could 
replace him with anybody else. You know, maybe Zushiming, although it's difficult enough just to get Zushiming in the ring. Um, but you know, that's that's the list at flyweight. That's begging to be unified somehow and begging of um, attention to the mm. division. They're all people that have got just enough fame to make a tournament work and not enough fame to become uh, standout stars on their own. So that's just a little side note there. We can move on, though. Um, Ricky Burns is rumored to be fighting Anthony Krola in October. Now, what is this fight, really? I mean, you you can't really hate on it. It's two people that have got... um, Deep fan bases, they're very popular and by all accounts nice fighters that a lot of people like cheering for. But they've struggled to you know, uh, keep a seat at the top of the sport. Um, and that's fine, not everyone um, is able to hang at the top of the sport. But they're a good matchup that both have you know, big fan bases. It's going to be a fun event. And if you're a fan of either or both, then how can you complain about this? It'd be a great, be a, a great spectacle. And it's not going to be the most important fight. It's not going to be something that is super relevant to the, you know, the world scene of boxing. But it's definitely going to be a fun time. Nothing more to really say on that fight. Um, that's all it is. I, I mean, I guess I could say, would you, would you compare? Um, Ricky Burns and Anthony Crollo to like the Mayweather McGregor of America? No, no, not not remotely. Um, <laughs> they're just they're just fun fighters. I mean, if you take they're they're closer to kind of Broner if you want to take those comparisons, where they're not elite on the world stage, but they can sell fights and people like to tune in and watch them. And, um, so you know they've got that going for them, and they're capitalizing on it. So good for them. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the fights of this weekend first up is chris eubank jr a fighter who simon knows very closely they grew up in the same town i think simon um stole eubank jr's girlfriend at one point or maybe it was the other way around simon you're gonna have to clear (laughs) that up neither neither of these scenarios we did we did grow up together though um and played a bit of football up at van dean um Van Dean's pitch for a while, um, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting fight for him, and his star power is kind of unbelievable. Um, I'm a little bit shocked by it. Um, I, I speak to I was speaking to a friend yesterday who thinks that Eubank Jr. beats Canelo and Golovkin. Um, is your friend in a mental in- institution? Is he okay? You should check I mean, up on him. He, 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 Does he, he doesn't... do drugs? No, no, he's he's straight edge, and you know his, his argument is he needs that to start doing drugs. Eubank Junior is a beast, and I mean when, when when someone makes that argument, you can't really counter it because it's like, oh okay, <laughs> like, uh, uh, but but I don't want to get kind of caught up in in that fantasy matchmaking. But we've got the real match with Abraham, and I, I think that this should be a kind of close challenge because I rate Abraham highly because Abraham's got so much ring IQ. And that's exactly what Eubank Jr. showed himself to be lacking, um, at least in certain fights. Lacking, or other another way to say it is having none? Well, I mean, it, it, he does make some bad decisions in ring, and quite regularly, um, and relies on his power to kind of be the equalizer and his work rate. 
And with Abraham, Abraham's that kind of casual guy that spends the first two and a half minutes of a round chilling out and evading you and getting a few jabs off. And then his robot um, ring counting machine comes in and he knows it's the last 30 seconds of the round. And then he gets work done and he just steals rounds by being really memorable in the last 30 seconds. So he's like, he's kind of like the antithesis. So I guess with Abraham, you've got an older fighter who's very accomplished, been in some really tough fights against some people, but he's fading and... um, hasn't been looking his former self lately and then you've got eubank jr who's a kind of rising um quantity that relies on no ring iq but loads of work rate and loads of uh, power and aggression and it's kind of like can abraham weather the storm and nick rounds by um being more effective or is he going to get overwhelmed by eubank over the course of the stretch and i don't really have a compelling argument i don't know how this is going to go um i probably favor eubank jr really marginally in this but um I haven't checked the odds. I don't know. If this were a close fight with the bookies, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I'm going to disagree with you. Pretty, uh, I, I don't think that Abraham is any good anymore. I think Abraham might have been good at some point. That point is no longer um, now. And my evidence for that is I watched the Gilberto Ramirez fight and that Arthur Abraham that showed showed up. Um, no good. That guy that guy could not do what you said he was he was going to do, which was steal rounds at the end. I yeah, wanted he, him he to. was outclassed there. That that was a fight where um, Ramirez put on just a great performance and showed that Ramirez isn't just a prospect to keep your eye on, but he's legitimate. He's he's um, a very good talent within the division. Now, and okay, it, fine. If, if you had more than just that fight, I'd find your argument more compelling. But if you remember, I did say that Abraham stars fading and that he is, he is getting um, kind of old to do what he does. However, it's has he got old enough that Chris Eubank Jr. can capitalize on it? And that's where I'm not super confident. I, I have an inkling that he can, but I wouldn't be surprised if Abraham does nick it. Well, here's, here's my counter to that, all right? Remember, Floyd Mayweather. Split decision win against Martin Murray. Okay? Split decision win against Martin Murray. Mm-hmm. How did you score that, though? I can't even remember. I'd have to look it up. Um, and then he had a very controversial fight with Paul Smith. Paul Smith. You like, if you don't know who Paul Smith is, then you don't get the joke. But if you know who Paul Smith is, you probably started laughing because, come on now. Uh, he hasn't, like, who has, he's fought one guy that's fairly close to their prime in Gilberto Ramirez, and I don't even know if he's in his prime yet. Who outclassed him? I I think Eubank Jr. and this pains me to say because I'm not a fan of him, but I think he's got the athleticism to overcome the lack of ring IQ, to overcome whatever Abraham can throw at him and win this fight pretty comfortably. And then Abraham or Eubank fans will think that he's a beast and can beat Canelo and Golovkin and even Andre Ward, which none of which will happen. So uh, I'm I'm in kind of the same camp as you. Just I'm not as confident about it. I you know if 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 I were forced to pick a winner, I would be picking Eubank Jr. But I wouldn't be confident betting too much on it because I'm not that confident about it. All right, let's move on. Lee Selby, featherweight champion of the world, 
fighting Jonathan Barros, Barros on the undercard. 41-4 with one draw. Jonathan Barros, not a bad fighter, not a great one, maybe not even a good one, maybe an okay fighter, maybe deserves world-level uh, c- contention now and then. But his attempts to fight at the world level haven't, um, they haven't been good since like 2010 when he won a vacant world title, defended it a few times, uh, lost to Celestino Caballero, who was uh, a, a popular fighter for, well, not popular, but a good fighter at featherweight for a while, then uh, was stopped by Mikey Garcia in 2012, and since then has <laughs> essentially done nothing outside of the domestic Argentine level. He yeah, will fight absolutely. Lee Selby. And I have a theory about Lee Selby that I, I wanted to float by you. And yeah, go is, for it. I, I see. I, I don't think there's too much to say on this fight other than Lee Selby's pretty good. His opponent's not terrible, though he could be doing better. But it, with with the level of opponent here, it's not bad enough that you feel the need to complain about it. It's pretty good. It, you know, I, I, you, you, we've all seen people take far worse opponents than this um, and gotten away with it. This this is all right. The, you know, the matchmaking's all right. So, what was your theory on Selby? As I think that may be more interesting than the matchup. <laughs> I guarantee it is. So I think, so remember, Lee Selby was signed to PBC very early and was supposed to be like one of the featherweights, one of the the, the bigger fighters that PBC would have. He, it, was, it was a big deal for him to come to America and fight. And what we found after Selby won his world title, came to America and struggled against Fernando Montiel, struggled against Eric Hunter, that basically everyone's kind of like, sold their Selby stock and Selby's no longer with Matchroom. He is now, I don't even know who the hell is promoting this card. Um, but he, he's fought one time since the Hunter fight. Um, this is being promoted by Poxon sports. I've never even heard of that. And so he, he's fighting. It sounds on this like card. a kind of Shakespeare curse. It, it might be. And I th- essentially what I think is they've gone back to the drawing board with, with uh, Selby and they're just trying to make sure he can work out whatever the heck that they're going to work out thinking that he's going to return to um, the greatness that was once there when he beat the great Evgeny Gradovich. And I think what, they're re- what we're realizing is that Selby's actually not that good. I mean, what has Gradovich done since the Selby fight? Well, he, he fought to a draw the fight before Selby. He, I thought he was poor in the Miskarchin fight before Velez, so that's the two fights preceding Selby. And since then, he's had four, four contentious wins that were all either a split decision or a majority decision. Now, you got to think about this for a second. He's mostly fighting under his promoter twice in Russia, and he's not getting the decision. That's a problem. And the other fight he's fought five times since then, was a stoppage loss to Oscar Valdez, which was brutal to watch. And that's Selby's claim to flame, uh, claim to fame, is beating Evgeny Gradovich, which is to say Selby may not be that good. I mean, look, he has no power, 24 wins, nine nine stoppages. Uh, he f- stopped the last guy he fought, but the guy was 16-2-2 and uh, very rarely fought outside of Spain. We know mm. how that goes. And, and that's what I think we're, what they're trying to do with Selby is pull the wool over our eyes and see if they can they can make a few more dollars out of Selby because I don't think Selby can compete on the world level. Yeah, and I think if you're a smaller promoter, you know, the, he, he's a big 
money maker and you don't want to kind of overexert or ruin him you want to really really uh, be careful with the matchmaking to get the best results out of him financially for your business um i, I it's it's a difficult one um I don't even know where he should go or what he should be doing. I wonder how long he'll stick by the Welsh Mayweather moniker that he's been um, behind before, because I, I think that ship may sail. So that's this card. Um, Selby should win this fight, but I wouldn't be surprised if he lost. Honestly, I would. I'm more. I'm more confident on this than I am on Eubank. Um, I'm not. We know how Argentine wow. fighters uh, tend to be upsetters. So. If, if if Selby wins, I expect him to have trouble. Uh, let's move on. So the card that I will be at this week, it's, uh, you know, I live in L.A. This card's in L.A. I'm there. Miguel Burchell headlines uh, a Golden Boy card on HBO, Boxing After Dark. He will face Takashi Mura. It would have just, what a run by Mura. I mean, really, think about it. Fought Mickey, Mickey Roman, fought Francisco Vargas, like this guy just cannot. I mean, if you if you, you if are you forgetting Billy Dip here? No, no, I, I stopped there. Stopped there. <laughs> I didn't bring up Jimmy Borbone because I think that was just a stay busy fight in Japan. I mean, he had to fight once in 2016, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and he was you know overcoming uh, the pretty brutal fight with Francisco Vargas, who's the big loser in all of this. But we'll get to that. Um, I, I just wanted to say that a lot of people may think that Mura is done basically because of the the fight he had with Vargas and the fact that the fight with Roman was a little tougher than expected. Um, and my response to that is you must not have watched much of Mura's career because this is what Mura does. This is his kind of fight. The fight with Vargas, that's how he, that's how it goes for him. Uh, I I highly recommend if you like Mura, or just love action fights, you have to check out his fight with Takashi Mura. It's an absolute... I mean, it's it's an amazing fight. It goes eight rounds. He drops Uchiyama in the fight. It's it's just a terrific fight. And, and at the time, Uchiyama was untouchable at super featherweight. And Mura gave him one hell of a fight. Like, he's just got that kind of will that he's basically able to will himself into fights that he, on paper, shouldn't really be in. Uh, the guy's punching power is legit. He puts everybody down. Sergio Thompson got dropped multiple times in the fight, and Thompson was a big puncher. If you don't remember, Sergio Thompson's the guy that knocked out Linares in like a round. So, um, Mura's, I, I highly doubt he's done. This guy is this, is, this is where he does his best work. And I don't think it's going to be the fight people are expecting. I think Burchell is more of a boxer than people realize. And I think that's how he beat Vargas. And I think ultimately... Um, if he's going to win this fight, he's going to have to outbox Mura and keep him off of him for 12 rounds. Mm. I know you're not... Uh, I bet you're not that caught up on both of these guys. Even um, though you're an American now and you should be. Yeah, mid- middling, but it, it, it looks like a good... Um, I think fan-friendly is going to be the word for this one. I, I don't think that this is going to be... Um, one that has the blueprints of becoming a snooze fest. I think that there's going to be um, a lot of action going on. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think this could be... Do you remember... Oh, I'm trying to think of... Um, names evaporated from my head. But you know um, 
it, it was a California car from about three years ago with two people that no one thought especially highly of, but were interesting. And it just became Tim Bradley this kind of... and Jesse Vargas. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but it became, uh, it was a, uh, oh, it was. Well, we know it was at the StubHub Center if you're talking about California. It, it was, yeah. Um, I, their names have just gone from my Matisse head. Matisse and John Molina Jr.? Yes, that fight. I think that it could mirror that in that people, you know, wrote off John Molina Jr. going into that. And it just became this, like, real deep fight that had so much back and forth. And I think that this could mirror that. I don't know why people would have written off Mira. I think that's just ignorance of people not knowing who Takashi Mira is. And this is what he does. This is the former... He he held this title already. This is his title that he lost to Vargas that he's trying to get back. Great mm-hmm. story. I'm sure in Japan they're going wild over this fight that their guy's going to get his title back. Um, you know, you could make an argument that he should have been allowed to continue in the Vargas fight, but Jesus, what a fight that one was. Let's move on though. Um, this I, I'm really looking forward to this fight. I think it's fascinating. I think Burchell is going to outbox, well, attempt to outbox him, and that's going to lead to some really tricky exchanges. Uh, on the undercard, Jezreel Corrales will fight Robinson Castellanos. Now, why Robinson Castellanos? He's got 12 losses. This guy is like a roach. He just keeps coming back. You cannot put this guy down. 35 years old and continues to basically make appearances um, uh, on the world stage, I guess. I mean, not really. I mean, this dude, he, he's he's one of those guys that didn't take boxing seriously until like halfway through his career, kind of like Salido. And he, in fact, lost to Salido like very early in his career. He was like five years or so into his career and he faced Salido. Salido knocked him out. But anyway, um, he's been good. Uh, good is, you know, all, as far as I'll go. Um, I don't think he's that good. He did stop Gamboa, but I think Corrales should easily outbox him. You know, that Corrales that we saw against Uchiyama that stopped him, I don't think that's the real one. I think that was just kind of like a, wow, Uchiyama didn't expect this guy and wasn't ready for this fight, maybe didn't take it seriously, and um, basically got beat. Because you saw in the rematch, Uchiyama almost upset the damn guy. Razor so thin, yeah. I, I think... Corrales wins this by outboxing him for 12 rounds. People don't get the... Again, people are going to be disappointed that they don't see the Corrales from the first Uchiyama fight. But oh well. Uh, maybe Castellanos is not good enough that he does get stopped. Let's move on. I think the most interesting fight on the card is the Joe Smith Jr. versus Sullivan Barrera fight. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because like you've got um, Joe Smith Jr. as someone who no one really thought too highly of until the Fonfara fight, he gets this like flash victory and people say, oh, is he legit? Is he not? Probably not. Cause flash knockouts don't always mean too much. Then they throw him in with B hop, but B hops old as hell when they fight. So, you know, and B hop was like a moderate favorite going into that fight just with his, um, boxing acumen and, and junior wins that again. So it's kind of like, I feel like Barrera is probably his first, um, uh, oh. legitimate challenge, oh. but not, not, Fonfara is obviously oh. uh, good at the weight, but that that was a kind of a weird fight that I don't think you can base a, a lot on. Look, you might be right, but I can't let you talk that way. Don't you dare <laughs> talk like that about Bernard Hopkins. That's a that's a legend. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, in what way do you think that I was disrespectful to him? You said that this is his first real fight, like real challenge? Yeah, I do. I, I, in terms of then, being did, did, relevant at the, at the weight, I don't think Hopkins... Um, How dare you? In 2016, is relevant at the weight. He's, he was a good challenge, and Joseph, it was no cakewalk either. You need um, to take your Calzaghi loving self back over to <laughs> England before you possible, say crap like this. Like, you know, there, there's lots of legendary, excellent boxers who we wouldn't consider elite anymore. Just because of who they used to be doesn't mean they are still that guy. Like, would you say uh, Roy Jones Jr. is a great challenge for someone in this day and age? Like, I wouldn't. Even, and like, that doesn't mean that I a think great challenge. Is who good. is someone? Like me? Yeah, he's a, he's a great <laughs> challenge for me. <laughs> well, well yeah. yeah, but it's possible to analyze a fighter in this day and age, like with Hopkins, and say, you know what? he is He's still incredibly good at the division considering his age but he's not um an elite you know in the division um, okay. as much as i wish he were he had he had um you know i'm, I'm a b-hop fan but i can't say that b-hop 2016 is um the, one of the best fights that the the division has to offer because i don't think that's true look again i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just saying i can't let you say that oh I you just don't like it no, you like because look, Hopkins has done nothing to 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 smear his his legacy. He hasn't done the Roy Jones, he hasn't done any of that. So no, like, give him give him some damn respect. I do give him some respect. I just don't think he's a top boy in the division. Whoa! So now you want to call him boy? Who do you think you are, Conor McGregor? I ain't touching that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um. So you talked a little bit about Joe Smith Jr. I'll talk about Sullivan Barrera. So Barrera is 35 years old. That's um, red flag number one. And that's the only red flag I'm going to give you. Because the only loss that this guy's got on his resume is against Andre Ward. Mm -hmm. Andre Ward, the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport now. Uh, he was no lame duck in that fight either. No, I thought he, he, he made he got work. He yeah, he, 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 he was definitely present in the fight. Um, I mean, he was competitive. He, he did, it didn't Paul win Smith a lot of rounds, again. but he was competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, what he does after that is the best one of his career, which was, well, I don't know. We knew that Vyacheslav Shabronsky wasn't any good. Like, he was being hyped up as, like, Golden Boys, light heavyweight monster. We knew he wasn't good. He ends up knocking out Shabronsky and showing that Shabronsky has no chin whatsoever. So I don't know what to take from that fight. That was his best win to date, unless you really rate Carol Murat, which maybe you do. I don't know. Um, Murat had only been beaten at that point by uh, Nathan Cleverly. Hopkins. And Hopkins. But Nathan Cleverly stopped him. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Stoppage, though. Um, but anyway, so uh, I think this is a good fight because Sullivan Barrera can box. I think mm -hmm. he's going to challenge Joe Smith Jr. In, in in a way that we haven't seen him. Now, this is assuming that Joe Smith Jr.'s power isn't as vicious and as um, substantial as we've been led to believe because the dude's power like is looks like it's legit. Knocks out Fonfara after almost getting himself knocked out. And then um, then he pushed Hopkins out of the ring, which is not cool. 
Um, so this this is I, I think going to be a really fascinating fight. I'm really like excited to see Joe Smith Jr. fight again, um, and uh, I, I I don't know who to pick in this fight. Like part of yeah. me thinks that Smith or Barrera is going to outbox him. I, I think that we haven't seen enough of Joe Smith Jr. on the world stage to really make up our minds about um, what his skill set is and what his strengths and weaknesses are. Um, if the boxer that showed up against Hopkins shows up here, he's in for a long night. Um, he needs to have improved um, a good amount with his fundamentals to be able to be live opposition for Barrera. Because I, I think that B-Hop was getting the better of him in a fair few rounds in their fight. And I, I don't know. I, I don't think that um, Barrera is going to struggle here unless Joe Smith Jr. has improved a lot. And remember, um, Joe Smith Jr. is someone who wasn't... Um, like a professional boxer in the sense that they could do it full time. I think he was working jobs on the side and things. He's still and working on the side. Is that right? I thought that he was after the Hopkins fight going to leave his jobs and focus full time on. No man, he was on, back at work on Monday. Oh wow, I didn't realize that. Did you just give time off like that? The window. <laughs> he he's in for a long night then. I I fear. Uh, I was he, going on the angle that he spent the last six, seven months like oh, I'm fully sure in the did. gym, twenty four seven. I'm but sure he did. If he's been working full time on the side, like then I don't, I don't think so. I'm sure he's he's was given the time to train full time for this fight. I would be shocked if he wasn't. Well, training camp perhaps, but not seven months of intensive everyday training. Okay, easy. He's not Floyd Mayweather. Uh, let's see. Um. Moving over to the East Coast at Nassau Coliseum, Omar Figueroa returns to the ring after a lengthy uh, layoff, which was completely necessary. Um, he hasn't fought since December of 2015, which, if my math is correct, is like a year and a half. He returns to the ring to fight Robert Guerrero, who hasn't been good in an even longer period of time. Mm-hmm. What a fight we've got here. Um, geez, where do we start uh, with the fact that Guerrero has lost four of his last six? Well, it, it's the unknown quantity of the long layoff versus the known quantity of bad recent performances. Okay. I, I want to say something here. Let's look at the last six fights of Robert Guerrero's mm-hmm. career, I guess. Loses to David Peralta, the literal cab driver. Loses to Danny Garcia. No shame in decision. that. Loses, or hold on, settle down. Uh, he wins a split decision against Aaron Martinez, which many thought he should have lost, but got a split decision. I thought he should have lost that fight. So potentially three losses in a row. Loses to Keith Thurman. We know all about that. Wins against Yoshihiro Kamigai. Unanimous decision. I think there were plenty that thought that it should have gone the other way. I, I might have had it a draw or even gave it to Kamigai. And then he lost to Floyd Mayweather, which we all knew was going to happen. So, Jesus. I mean, if luck was not in his favor, that's six straight losses. Is this really that big of a, a challenge for Omar Figueroa, who to, the, to, to this date in his, or to date in his career, has really not had anybody, with the exception of the Jerry Belmontes fight, that's really given him a fight? Well, I think guys yeah, have given it, him a fight. It's just that he, nobody's really come close to beating him. It's, it's 
the only mystique here, if you wanted to sell the fight, is ring rust. Yeah, and, and then the, the whole breaking hands thing. So it's like, y- you can kind of try to, you know, squint and say that it's an interesting matchup, but I don't believe that. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> Not maybe for the right reasons. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is more interesting in the in the Mayweather-McGregor sense, where it's like, yeah, we know that um, this isn't the best matchup, but can Omar Figueroa's hands not break? Um, will Omar Figueroa forgot, have forgotten to box? Uh, is Robert Guerrero any good? Does he remember how to box? Is he a dark horse? Was he just faking the last six? Yeah. Uh, is he going to turn his career around after four years? It's literally been four... No, well, actually, his last legitimate good performance, and I disagree that this was a good performance, but his fight with Birdo... That was in November of 2012. Mm. Uh, it's almost five years ago. It's a long time since we've seen uh, Robert Guerrero put on a good performance. And so, um, yeah. Now, that's not the real like reason to watch this fight or this card. Um, I think it might be a fun fight. Like, as far as uh, these guys typically are pretty aggressive. I think it could be a fun fight in that they're going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of action. I think the best fight on the card is the Marcus Brown, Shawnee Monahan fight. I think um, Marcus Brown, he's been a bit controversial. I have an interview that I recorded with him uh, that's going to be released with this podcast um, that you can listen to. And I asked him a few questions and we talked about this fight. And uh, Sean Monahan is a guy that was with top rank for a long time. Big East Coast draw, never fought um, anybody that could really give him a challenge because why, you know, he's a cash cow over there. Why mess that up? So they basically kept him fighting around his hometown. He would sell tons of tickets and um, basically be like a guy that gets people in the door so that they can watch somebody that they don't really care for. Um, mm-hmm. This one's the fight. Right. So these guys both... Winner's going to get a shot at Adonis Stevenson. And while Sean Monaghan was initially supposed to fight um, Stevenson, they, they scrapped that fight because Monaghan had done nothing to earn it other than sell tickets. Um, personally, I think Brown's going to gonna be knock honest, him out. If, if we look at the um, sort of opponents that uh, Stevenson goes for, he only settles for the people that have put in the most work in the division and are most legitimately um, have earned a real shot at him because anything less would be a waste of his time. And that, that's why I guess that fight couldn't happen. He wasn't quite at the prestige level that... Um, Adonis Stevenson expects in his opponents. Um, I get the sense that that was sarcasm. <laughs> what, what, what could have made you think that? Because uh, Sean Monaghan doesn't really have any prestige. Mm. <laughs> uh, so this is a good fight. I predict Marcus Brown will knock him out and Marcus Brown... Um, versus Adonis Stevenson is what we have lined up next, and that's an interesting fight. I think um, at some point, Stevenson's not going to be good. Age, father time is coming for him. I don't know that Brown can speed that up or anything, but it's going to happen sooner or later. Um, If you tune into Fox Sports 1, you'll be able to see Jamal James headlining uh, another card that night against Jojo Dan. We all know Jojo Dan is a guy who lost to um, uh, Jarrett Hurd, Kell Brook, uh, Selchuk Aydin, 
and um, who else did he beat? No, he he beat uh, Kevin Bizier. Yeah, the Canadian mm-hmm. prospect that was supposed to be good. Ah, these prospects, they just never pan out. So um, interesting fight, Jamal James. He just lost his recent fight. Um, super tall welterweight. He's 6'2". Um, I think that they're going to go division higher for, for, uh, for this one. I don't know. Um, either way, Arthur Spielka also returning to the ring. Uh, after his pretty brutal loss to Deontay Wilder. If you don't remember, Wilder knocked him out with a single shot, right hook, right on the money. Beautiful shot that that was. Um, he'll face Adam Adam Konaki, who has a great big smile on his box rec page. A really good picture. Um, he's undefeated. Polish. This is uh, get the Polish people into the arena and give them something to cheer for. And that's exactly what this fight is. And these are your fights for next week. Oh, actually, not all of them. I do want to special mention to the Showbox card, okay? That's going to be airing on Friday night. If you can, I think you should definitely tune in. It'd be a better uh, way to spend your time than watching another Mayweather-McGregor press conference, um, assuming you're a boxing fan. Uh, The headline is Ivan Berenchik versus Keenan Smith. Both are undefeated. Um, Anton Douglas, his opponent just got pulled out, and there's another one coming in. So um, I think it's Juan de Angel. Um... I saw the email. I haven't really checked it, though. And then Kenneth Sims, uh, he is undefeated. He will fight Ronaldo Chinia, who's 14-1-1. Just a good card. Um, The headline, the the, uh, Baron Chick, he's a fun fighter. Comes forward, comes to fight. I think uh, this guy is um, must-see TV if you haven't seen him before. So definitely check that out. Um, Still early in his career, 16-0, but he's obviously being positioned to make a run at a world title within the next... 16 it's months a, or a so. Friday night fights type card where it's people that you want to get on your radar. Yeah. That's exactly what the showbox is. So uh, that's it for this week's podcast. Um, we will be back uh, very soon to discuss the results of all of these fights. And then we'll also probably discuss a little bit about Mayweather McGregor and why it's a waste of your time and blah, blah, blah. I'm just kidding. Um, if you guys want to have a real laugh, why don't you go over to the RMMA sub and try to make a post, see if that gets past any anything because um, all of their posts are not getting past us. So uh, take that for what you will. Um, thank you for listening, though. Please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, five stars. Um, another podcast out um, me and my boxing group listen to, what they do is um, when you leave a five-star review and you send a screenshot to the Twitter, they each week pick a winner to like get sent a shirt or something. We don't have any shirts though. So we have to make some and then give free stuff away so we can get good ratings. And That seems, um, to, be, seems to be it. Don't, don't, don't worry about whether you think it's good or not. Like Rating systems aren't supposed to have any integrity. What they're for is gaming. Um, absolutely. So, it's about so getting free stuff. You get free stuff if, if you lie, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 what we're going for because that's all this is. That's all boxing is. The whole thing of it is an illusion. That's what Mayweather McGregor is. It's an illusion that one guy can actually do something that he has never been paid to do, while another guy who's been paid his whole life and dominant for twenty one years, he actually isn't as good as we've been led to believe. So, 
do that. If you for think us. that, you you get a free shirt. Yeah. So if you if you can do that, well, actually, I didn't say you would get a free shirt. I said this is something that we have to do. Now I'm trying to come up with shirt design ideas. The problem is I can't draw. I reckon that we should probably hire a graphic designer then. No, no, no. See, we don't have the, the money for that. Now, if we oh. were able to have tons of listeners, which we could get if people would leave us five-star ratings on iTunes, we could get sponsors. And then the sponsors could give us money, which we could use to buy T-shirts. Or, well, I don't know if we'd buy T-shirts. We'd make them. And then we can give out free T-shirts. So we're kind of stuck. We need somebody to give or something to give so that we can get this going. Now, suppose you are saying, hey, I want to get my t-shirt business off the ground. Well, work with us. I got ideas for t-shirts and then you can make the t-shirts and then help us give them to people and we can use, well, you, we can talk. You know how to you know how to reach me. Send me a message. You can hit us up on Twitter. That's a good way. And um, please share the podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Simon, good to have you back. Um, I, I don't know how, how much longer you're going to be able to take the Mayweather-McGregor stuff. You did seem like you were going to explode. Yeah, I, I do my best. Like I know people want to hear us talk about it, so I put aside my um, unbridled rage about the event. I, I swallow it all down. I'm sure I'm getting stomach ulcers from it, and um, you know, because I'm a professional. And um, you know, I, I just make the, the best of it and try, and try and talk about it. Look, that's 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 what the people want to hear you say, Simon. They want to hear you taking one for the team. They um, love this. It's just what six more weeks. Is it six more weeks? No, I think it's a little longer than that. It's it, the, the oh, fight is August twenty sixth. Oh, actually, you're probably right. Seven more, maybe. It's July thirteenth. We're like six, seven weeks out. Yep. Six, seven more weeks. But All wait, right. there's, then more. there's more. <laughs> then there's what happens afterward. I can't wait for the. Oh my God, boxing is so done. What has May- Mayweather has destroyed boxing. That's to come at a later date. Thank you for listening. <laughs>